The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. This morning we continue our short series on God's purpose for the church. Our foundational verses for this series are found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've looked at Ephesians chapter 2. Noting that our salvation was not an upgrade to life. Rather, we were taken from death to life. We have been transformed from condemned rebels to partners in God's plan of redemption. That's mind-blowing. Then last Sunday, we looked at Ephesians 4, noting that an essential element of God's plan for salvation, for the redemption of humanity, was this diverse distribution of spiritual gifts. The word often used is charisma or grace gifts. And we read in Ephesians 4 that he gave some, that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And we noted that while the gifts are given to each one, they are in fact given to us collectively because they are given for the building up of the whole body. There is no solo enterprise. And so this morning with a particular focus on 1 Corinthians 12, I want us to look and learn a little bit more about how these gifts function. As a point of reference, I have a slide that lists five of the gift lists that are found in Scripture. From Ephesians 4, verses 10 and 11, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, and Romans 12, 7 to 8. There are other passages of Scripture which talk about spiritual gifts given. In fact, the first mention of spiritual gifts goes back to the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness where God says, I have placed my spirit upon this person and I have given him gifts for the construction of the tabernacle and to teach others how to use those gifts to construct the tabernacle. Those are very practical gifts. and Those are the first spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. And Mike, when you talked about these ladies being naturally gifted, there is a natural gift, and sometimes the gift that we have is actually a natural gift that we have that God enhances by his spirit and uses it in a supernatural way. And uh, we praise God that you guys make your gifts so available and that God is using them. Those of you who have been around for a while know that I have five principles that I apply when I'm preaching and when I'm reading scripture. And one of those, and I want to reinforce it today, is don't believe a word I say. Go home and check it out for yourself. Look to the word. If I have anything I achieve in eight years, I want people to base their faith not on what someone else says, but what God's Spirit says through his word. 
because I don't know how long I've got to live. 10, 20, 30 years, based on my dad. Maybe 30 years if I've got a heads up on that. But I've pastored in half a dozen different churches. And my prayer is that those that I've pastored have found something in that journey that has sustained them long beyond my input to their life. We are called to feed ourselves through the word. His word is our sustenance for every day. So whatever I say, go and check it out in the scripture. And that's probably never been more important than when I come to speaking about spiritual gifts. We can explore these gifts biblically, and we can explore these gifts theologically, as many have done. However, I have this conviction that until we explore them experientially, we don't really understand fully. Because when I read the scripture and I see the exercise of these gifts in scripture, I kind of feel that even at our best, we're kind of just scratching the surface. And God has so much more. And his spirit knows that and his word has that hidden in it and he can reveal it to us and I pray he will reveal it through us. Therefore I also want to suggest don't simply listen to me and don't listen through the filters of past teaching. Listen to the word and allow his spirit to speak. See, I've had lots of teaching over the years about spiritual gifts and some of it, quite frankly, scares me. But some of it's been kind of helpful. But even in the process of being helpful, I find some of it has been kind of limiting. And I don't want to be responsible limiting what God wants to do in and through you because of my lack of knowledge and understanding. So go to the word and listen to the spirit. Some of the teaching I've heard draws a line between what some call sign gifts and ministry gifts. For example, Evangelists and helps and encouragement can be called ministry gifts. Those are ministries that we have. And then they talk about sign gifts and they talk about healings and tongues and words of knowledge. And those designations can be helpful, I find them deeply troubling. Because firstly, I find them artificial. Because while most of those, and... Uh, most of those can, well, those can fit into the sign gift categories that some would give. 1 Corinthians 12:28 is a very clear mix of gifts and gift types. And, and so I don't see that scripture brings this clear delineation. The other reason I have a concern is because depending on your theological background and bent, you can denigrate one and exalt the other. So, and this is hugely stereotypical, but if you come out of a classical Pentecostal charismatic theology, it's really easy to even unconsciously elevate what we would call, what some would call the sign gifts. And, and kind of the, the ministry gifts are just more, a little bit more run-of-the-mill. 
But if you come from the background that I come from, which is a more theologically conservative background, it's kind of easy to write off the sign gifts and elevate the ministry gifts. But I think we discover when we read 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's going, uh-uh, don't do that. They are all important for the life and well-being of the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, 28 kind of has that mix. A number of years ago there was a trend and it was probably led by uh, Willow Creek with their network seminar or by um, uh, Saddleback Church in, 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 uh, in uh, California led by Rick Warren and his purpose-driven church and purpose-driven life and he used shape was his process of enabling people to explore their gifts and, and it was a process that was helpful and I know Mike and I have both led quite a few people through the network seminar in the years really helpful but it had its downsides for some it became kind of a box these are your gifts these are who you are just get on and use them the problem was it was based on a, you complete a series of questions and looking at your experience, it helps you identify the ways in which God works consistently through you. And then you go to someone else who knows you well and you check what they would see in you. And that can be really helpful, but the problem being is, coming from my theological origins, where you don't pray for people to be healed, you kind of do loosely, but not in any gift of healings kind of way. How would I ever know if God had given me a gift of healing? Because I've never prayed for anyone because my theology says I shouldn't. And so if someone comes to me and says, Oh, Brian, can you pray for me? I need healing. I'd go, sorry, you're going to find someone else with that gift. But the gifts belong to the Holy Spirit and even in that moment the Holy Spirit can still work that through me even if it's the one time in my life that God does it. But I may find that actually when I start to do it God reveals something to me. Or imagine someone comes to you and says, oh, or comes to me and says, hey Brian, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I look at them, find an evangelist? We will find that there are gifts that God consistently works in us and through us. And we should look to discover what they are and to develop them. But don't let our discovery become a box and say, oh, well, I found my... Okay. So administration, on the back table, there is a list of definitions. And it's not all, all of the gifts, there's 27. And in fact, I was surprised when I saw the one guidance because um, the NIV normally is always called administration or governance. Um, but Peter Wagner defines it as to understand clearly the immediate and long-range goals of a particular unit of the body of Christ 
and to devise and execute effective plans for the accomplishment of those goals. Not doing paperwork, but to organise the body of Christ. And I have to say, for my, all my years of doing spiritual gifts, my first primary gift is encouragement, and my second is the gift of administration. That's what God's called me to, that's what he's gifted me to. And it's also the box I kind of lived in for a while. But God opens up more doors. And so we can find that there are gifts that God works through us consistently. And it's really helpful to develop and discover, to discover and develop those, but don't let it become a box that limits you. Keep listening to him and keep walking, as Andy's reminded us, in obedience. Sometimes we discover the gifts that we have simply because they're how God has effectively worked through us. Sometimes, and I've seen it in practice, where particular individuals will have a word of knowledge that God has placed this gift in you, and they will call that out of you. The Apostle Paul talks about gifts being given through the laying on of hands, and he, he talks in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not give us does, for the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So there's all sorts of ways in which we discover what gifts God has placed upon us, and there are different ways in which we actually receive those gifts, but all from the Holy Spirit. And that, that command in there to fan and to flame the gift that is in you. One way in which we fan that into flame, in which we develop our gifts, is to tap into the resources of the body of Christ. And it's also one way in which we discover the gifts that we have. Again, this is not a solo journey. When we operate in the life of the body of Christ, we have opportunity to explore and discover and develop the gifts that we have. As the old saying goes, there is safety in numbers. And for me, one of the purposes of this gathering is to have opportunity and to create opportunity for people to exercise those gifts. And we talk about at our different other sized tables and small groups to, in, within the body, express and experiment and develop those gifts so that we can use them out in the world. And so this morning we are going to look specifically at 1 Corinthians 12. If you've spent any time at all reading 1 Corinthians, you'll know that this church was a mess. It was a really nice mess. It was a wondrous mess. It was a, it was a mess. But it was a mess in which God was powerfully at work. Whereas the Acts 2 church was a bunch of God-fearing Jews learning to follow Jesus. The church in Corinth was a bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of pagans learning what it is now to follow Jesus. 
And so when Paul opens the letters to them, however, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. This may be a messed up church. This may be a divided church. They were divided around leadership. They were divided around immorality. And yet this church, Paul says, you didn't lack any spiritual gift. God was powerfully at work in this church. He says, you don't lack anything, but then he spends several chapters telling them exactly what they do lack around the immorality and all of those things. And so I want us to learn from Paul. For some, there may be new learning. For some, there may be a sharpening of focus. For others, a refresher course. And for others, I pray that God would simply fan into flame further the gifts that he has placed within this body through you. And so Paul starts, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's not introducing something that they don't know and haven't experienced. They're full on. But it's kind of messy and he's saying, I want you to understand some things about the gifts of the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who works. Now to each one, to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Again, no Lone ranges. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing. And by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and of the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as one body has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. When we read this, like the believers in Corinth, our focus is so often on the diversity of gifts. And yet Paul writes to actually reinforce not the diversity of gifts, but the unity that they bring when they are used together within the one body and that they come from one Holy Spirit. 
even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. People say, I don't need church. That's pretty prideful. For a start, church needs them. We need every part that God has placed within this part of the body and every part of the body needs every other part of the body, every other home group and every other denomination. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Now we think about that physically but think about that spiritually. The bits of the body, that, that those gifts within the body of Christ that we go, they're not really that significant. God says, you arguing with me? That should be given special honour. Don't hide it away because it's not important to you. Don't hide it away because it's not significant to you. You don't know your contribution, that's fine. Just make it. Because I have a purpose for it, says God. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and different kinds of tongues. One of the things I find fascinating is he didn't go apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. And it's like, oh, hang on, he, he kind of missed that flow out of... It's like there's not a flow. It's mixed up. There's not these divisions that we want to create. He says, are all apostles... It's like too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? You know, I believe that the world has had enough of a divided church. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And next week we move on to the end of chapter 12 and into chapter 13, 
where Paul talks about the priority, the importance of love. I also suspect the world's had enough of an educated church with its clever and sometimes cliched responses to the tough questions of life. With the uh, storm on Monday night, a tree on our neighbour's property came down and it took out the corner of the carport at um, my daughter and son-in-law's place. And so I put the insurance claim in on Friday and they explained to me what I already knew. This was an act of God. Doesn't God always get the blame? But people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, firstly, there are no good people. But secondly, forget the platitudes. Forget the simplistic answers. The church has had too many of them for too long. And the world's kind of tired of that. What the world desperately needs is a powerful church. A church empowered by the same thing or the same person who empowered the early church, the Holy Spirit. I've been challenged over the years, do we refer to the Holy Spirit or we just call him Holy Spirit? He is a person, he is not an it, he's not a force. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, co-equal in power and glory. What the world desperately needs is a powerful church. You know, I love Paul's journey. That's one of the things we saw when we went through the book of Acts is Paul goes to Athens and he has one of those intellectual discussions with the intellectuals in Athens. And a few people believe in a small church is formed. And then he goes to Corinth and we get this huge messy church is formed. But Paul says, you know, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence like I did back in Athens or with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you. The number of evangelism conferences I've been to who have used Paul's um, message in the area of Pagus in Athens as, as a model for how we should do evangelism. Totally ignoring the fact that it was probably the most unproductive effort of Paul's that's recorded in the book of Acts. But he says, when I came to Corinth, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified you know we're told in Ephesians that the that the power of God that is at work in you this Holy Spirit who's placed gifts in you this Holy Spirit who wants to work in and through this church has the same power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead And Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. I wonder whether that's because he'd just come from Athens and it hadn't gone so well. And now he was going to Corinth. At least Athens was known for its intellect. Corinth was known for its immorality. And he says, I came to you with weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Many years ago, for three years, we tried a church plant meeting at Royal Road School, and we had a guy started coming in a wheelchair. He'd grown up in an atheist family. He didn't believe in God, he didn't believe in creation, didn't believe any of that. And within about three or four months, he'd given his life to Christ. 
not because of our arguments, but because he saw a group of people who loved one another. There is a power of God at work that the human mind and brain cannot take care of. And, and don't confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the gift of the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, when he's preaching, says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's all sorts of language scripture use, they were filled with the Spirit, and I can't argue with the scripture, it's like, you were filled with the Spirit, but I always picture it more, we tend to picture it like a glass, and we're pouring from a jug, and we just need a top up. So we come to church so we can get topped up, we can get filled with the Spirit. But I have a problem with that. I tend to find it more like a, I tend to think more of a glove or a jacket. If I'm holding a jacket, it kind of hangs limp. But as I begin to put it on, it takes shape. And it begins to form, fill, form, uh, fulfill form and function. And when I allow the Holy Spirit to come with me as I give surrender to various parts of my body, I allow him to fill that arm of the coat and that arm, then my life begins to fulfill form and function. And so the filling of the Spirit for me is about surrender to him. Allowing him to fill every part, giving him access, control on every part. Now again, that's an example and it may not be a great example, but I find it helpful. But again, don't let it be limiting. But the Holy Spirit is a person and when we give our lives to Christ, when we repent, when we come before him, when we're immersed in him, when we're baptised, for the forgiveness of our sins, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not part. You cannot get part of a person. The Holy Spirit is with you and he is in you. He just has to be given authority to work through you. And he chooses to do so by the gifts that he's given. At least that's how I understand it. Again, I encourage you to turn to Scripture, to read Scripture, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We are on a journey of discovery. We're about to share in communion. And as we come, we acknowledge the life and death of Jesus Christ. And we remember the price he paid and his resurrection. These are the things. This is the price that was paid. This is what, what, these are symbols of what God accomplished in and through Jesus Christ in order to fulfill his purpose in the church. As we come, there's a couple of songs we'll play. You can feel free to worship with those. They're ones that we prepared beginning of last year when we were only able to meet in groups of ten. But opportunity just to worship. If you need prayer, just tap someone on the shoulder near you and say, can you pray for me? If you're not sure of who to tap on the shoulder, come up the front. Ask someone. It's an opportunity not just to come and receive the elements which remind us of the body of Christ. My prayer is that this would be an opportunity to be the body of Christ. 
We've been privileged to have others share their gifts, Andy and, and Mike and Hannah and Kohene and Arahir and a number of other folk, Gay and other folk, you know, Lindley, others who have shared in the service. But maybe there's something else you need from the body of Christ this morning. The opportunity is yours to come as we wish it. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.